The 79th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett. Says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams' front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to head. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May! It's over! Carolina has won the national championship! 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews. Off the mark, and this year the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony, back with you guys today. Going to recap Carolina's defeat last night at Wake Forest. Go through the box score. You'll hear from Hubert Davis. Give our stat of the game, takeaways, and all that. We're also going to preview tomorrow's contest at home against Virginia Tech as Carolina has a busy week at home in the Smith Center. Uh, trying to turn the season around following back-to-back blowout defeats. That's where we'll start, buddy. A, a, a tough week got tougher for Carolina. They fell last night 98-276 at Wake Forest, making it back-to-back times. They've lost by 20 points or more for the first time since 2001-2002. They got beat by 28 on Tuesday night at Miami. And then last night, 22 at Wake Forest. And – uh Wake just had too much success on the offensive end. The 98 points were the most scored in regulation against Carolina since the 1960s. They shot 54% from the field, 38% from three, and used a 20-7 to run in the middle part of the first half to take control of the game. And I think it's something that you've brought up many different times during the season. Carolina was up 23-21. to they got blitzed with that 20 to 7 run and that all went into the game and, and after that happened carolina had no fight no desire no want to to try to get themselves back into the game they cut it to 9 in the second half had a chance to cut it to 7 and rj davis offensive foul wiped that away but outside of that no fight back from this carolina team and it's one of the most the most disappointing aspects we've seen so far during Hubert Davis's first season on the job. Yeah, it's just a team that can't sustain a punch, uh, and it's been shown multiple times so far this year. Um, you know, they, they most people probably look at this team and still think that hey, they they hold the talent edge in in most of these games, and even when you do end up getting you know, someone's best effort or and somebody goes on a run at a certain point in the game, this team should be able to fight back. And look, they got the best effort of Wake Forest in this game. You knew that Wake Forest was going to come out motivated because they were in a similar spot to Carolina. This is one of the first times in a while where they've 
felt like heading into the game, they have a legitimate opportunity to beat Carolina. And it became very evident early on that they were going to play this team tough and Carolina just couldn't stick with it after that run, as you mentioned. And then, you know, in the second half, it it just, it really, it it got bad. I mean, like like you said, there was that one point where Carolina, um, you know, was driving down the floor, down 59, 50, and R.J. Davis went to the cup, had a chance. They call an offensive foul, and that was really it. That was the last time Carolina uh, was even within single digits. And, and that's the other thing. There's been a couple of games now here over the last few weeks where, you know, even Carolina has been trailing, but they can't ever seem to get closer than five or seven points in a game. And that was exactly what happened in this game against Wake. You felt like if they could just get it under seven, under five, maybe there was a chance that they could complete the comeback. But this is a team that now we know for sure going forward, if they are going to win games, they have to be leading. If they trail by double digits at any point in a game, they are not going to come back and win that basketball game. So – that's going to be a challenge moving forward. They, they know that they're a team that has to play from ahead. And so far, especially on the road this season, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah, it's really a weird dynamic because you've got so much offensive firepower. And this offense, when it's humming, is as good as any offense there is in college basketball. And that's not that's not being, you know, that's not me exaggerating. That's like there's proof in the pudding when it comes to that. But for some reason, when they get down 10 or points or more, the offense becomes one-on-one, and it's not designed to play that way, and that's why the results that they're getting are what they are, 33% from the field, 21% from the foul line. The, the most disappointing thing is that the, the lack of fight and want to when the going gets tough. Roy Williams always says there's a point in every game where – one team has to give in, and, and I want my team to not be that team. This team isn't that. When when the going gets tough, they just give in to that wave of, of that of that emotion of, and the building and, and what's going on, and they're not good enough to recover. And that's a really bleak place to be at considering you've still got a handful of road games you've got to play against some – even better team. So, um, you know, Tuesday night, Carolina got outscored by three players from Miami. Last night it was four. Jake LaRavia was the best player on the court. 31 mm-hmm. points, 9 of 13 from the field. Um, got to the foul line 15 times by himself. By himself got to the foul line 15 times. Alondis Williams, 23 points, 6 rebounds. Williamson, 19 points. And then you had Monsanto come off the bench and score 13 points. It's always been a thing where one guy has a career night and it's able to help lift a team you know, over Carolina. You've had back-to-back games where it hasn't even taken a, a, a full team to beat you. You're getting beat by a collective group of individuals, three or four guys that are out doing what your entire team is doing. And that's really dis- that's that's really disheartening and it's really frustrating because Wake Forest is good, but how many people if you ask them on a straw poll would say that their talent is better talented than Carolina's talent? Not many people. 
and yet you're still getting not just beat, blown out by that type of team. Go back to Tuesday night, Miami. And look, these are good teams. These are quality teams in a down ACC. But these are still teams that Carolina should not be getting blown off the court by like they had this past week. Well, that's the thing. If they were losing the games, you know, we kind of understood that. Because right now, I mean, I think we both said it. I said it last night on social media. This team isn't that talented. It's just We thought coming into the year that this team had a lot of talent. And, yeah, maybe they do in certain areas. But especially on the defensive end of the floor, this is not a talented basketball team. But last, the, the last two games, the most concerning part about what's happening is that these are the guys that you know are going to give you trouble. And, you know, we, you, you look at the game before that and even the matchup with Georgia Tech earlier in the year, they had two guys that could score the ball extremely well as well. And you did a pretty good job in both of those matchups taking away those scores. And I look, I know Georgia Tech isn't as good as these two teams that Carolina's played, but you shut down Michael DeVoe almost completely in the Smith Center in, in that second game of that matchup. But then you follow that up by getting destroyed by the guards that you knew you were going to have to slow down in the next two matchups, Isaiah Wong had a huge night, which was going to be one of your main focuses, along with McGusty, and he played well. And then uh, Alondis Williams, we talked about him at length during the preview of the podcast, of, of the game in the podcast. And we talked a lot about Jake LaRavia, too. And both guys, from the word go, you knew Carolina didn't wasn't prepared to take them away. And it does not make any sense to me. Now, look, LaRavia is a bad matchup for this Carolina team because we've seen some stretch fours that have given Carolina fits before. LaRavia is as athletic of a stretch four as you're going to see. I, I, there were people last night that were trying to tell me that nobody on this current Wake Forest roster would start a Carolina. Jake LaRavia would start a Carolina. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind about Williams. That. Yeah, there is no doubt in my mind that those two would start right now. But um, you could just tell that Brady Manick was overmatched. He's not a good defender. It's just that simple. And, you know, even when they put Dawson Garcia in the game, I mean, he he was all right against them, but he wasn't great. But the most the, – the thing that is most concerning is that Leaky Black, again, on Alondis Williams, this is the second straight game where he's been tasked with playing against their most lethal scorer, and he has done nothing against them. He has not been able to slow him down at all. And again, that's the only reason that he plays as much as he does. He brings nothing to you on the offensive end. He's as big of a minus on the offensive end as probably any player in Tario basketball history. And I mean, I'm, I, I, this is another game where he did not score. So it's hard not to make that argument that this guy right now is hurting your team more than any player on the floor. If he is not able to defend at a high level. So Carolina needs him to be able to do that. And these last two games, he just simply hasn't. So 
we, I mean, we we pointed to it before the game that these the, the guards were going to hurt this team. And if you know, moving forward, teams that have guards, uh, you know, two or three that that can that can shoot the lights out and that can drive the basket extremely well, Carolina is going to have a ton of problems with those moving forward. Let's take a look at the box score. Carolina shot thirty three percent from the field. They got 81 shot attempts last night, only made 27 of them. Compared to Wake Forest, 54%. They were 32 of 59. Carolina struggled to shoot the ball beyond the arc once again, just 6 of 28. That factors out to 21%. Wake Forest, 10 of 26, 38% from the foul line. Behind Jake Laravia is 12 of 15. Wake Forest was 24 of 32. Carolina was 16 of 23. Turnovers. Carolina about got the mark we wanted to get them to. They had just 11 turnovers. But Wake turned those into 21 points. So you go back to Tuesday night, 14 turnovers, 30 points. Then you have 11 turnovers in this game, 21 points. Simply put, when Carolina turns the ball over, they don't try to – Go down and get a stop. They give up that possession. They seed the possession. They're going to give a layup. And that's a really typical spot to be in when you're not forcing turnovers. Carolina just forced eight turnovers last night, and they only got seven points off of those mistakes. They got rebounded Wake Forest 50 to 38. Um, now, they did get out rebound on the defensive glass 35 to 27. Carolina out-rebounded Wake Forest on the offensive glass, 23-3. to Got 29 second-chance points and still got blown out. Those are numbers that when you check the box score and if Carolina had a plus-20 offensive rebound margin and plus-24 second-chance point margin, you would probably think we're talking about a Carolina victory. Instead, we're talking about a 22-point defeat. That's what makes it all mind-blowing is that they do some things really well, but when it sh- but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they're not playing as a team. They're not playing cohesively. Um, they got outscored off the bench. Wake had 25 bench points led by Monsanto, 13 off the bench. Carolina just 15 bench points. They were led by Dawson Garcia, seven points. Points in the paint, 40-36 Wake Forest. Blocks, 6-2 Wake Forest. Steals, 7-6 Wake Forest. Assists, 11-9 Wake Forest. You gave up 98 points. You gave up 32 made baskets. Excuse me. And only 11 of those baskets were assisted on. Meanwhile, of your 27 baskets, only nine were assisted on. That is 33%. Um, And and so there's your look at the box score. Let's move on. We'll move on to our quote of the game. But Schubert Davis, um, and I have some critics uh, from him from last night, as I probably will have the rest of the year moving forward. He was pretty blunt about his team in the postgame, talking about, why their offense has struggled and they're just not good enough to struggle on offense as of late. Specifically on the last two opponents that we've played, we just don't have the ability, the athleticism and, and the ability to be able to to break down defenders. Like today, Wake Forest was switching all ball screens, one through five, and we couldn't get by them. We, 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 couldn't, we couldn't create 
a shot because we couldn't get by them. And so because we're not able to be able to break down defenders and, and, and get into the paint and get depth against Miami and against Wake Forest, now, now teams don't have to help and recover. And now we don't have those open shots. You know, at the end of the day, we're a team that is really good scoring in the paint with Armando. And at the end of the day, we're really a, you know, a jump shooting team. And so when we don't shoot the ball well from the outside and, and Armando doesn't have a dominant game, and we're not lights out defensively, it's going to be difficult for us against really, really good teams. Let's move on now to our stat of the game. A lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of different ways we could have went with this one. Field goal percentage, points off turnovers, three-point percentage. But we decided to go off the fast break points. Carolina got outscored 30-2 to two in the fast break. That's a minus 28 margin. I don't know in the history of my life what was the worst performance in that department than what we saw last night. And the other night, you got ran out of the court, ran off the court. Against Kentucky, kind of the same thing. Even even the Tennessee to a certain degree. Last night, Carolina simply gave up. They quit trying. And give credit to Wake Forest. They sensed that, and they put the pedal to the metal, and they just kept coming at it coming at Carolina in waves and transition. And that's one thing that Hubert Davis can't stop. You can't make them get back and play transition defense. You can't make them not turn the ball over. And that's something that I I think you can address it. That's an effort thing. And you can't – I think what we've learned this, this week – you can't make this team make this, this team care. And right now, they may have a talent issue. They may have a depth issue. Their biggest issue is they have a care issue. They didn't care this week, and they're not good enough not to care. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I just said it earlier. I don't think this team is as talented as we thought they were. And – yeah, the, the effort, I mean, I, I, it's just unbelievable that we have to talk about this every single time that we come on a podcast. I, I didn't think – I thought in the first half it really wasn't an effort issue. I felt like it was more that Wake Forest right now is just a better team than Carolina. And, and people – Take that to mean, well, that, that, that means you think that they have more talent than Carolina. No, that's not true. Their group has just blended a lot better together than Carolina's had. Mm-hmm. But in the second half, that's when everything really fell apart. And you just saw a team that I, I, I don't know, I guess just got the feeling that they weren't going to be able to complete the comeback because they – couldn't get consistent stops on the end of the floor and just gave up. I mean, after that point that I talked about where it was 59-50, that was really the last time you felt like there was any chance Carolina had of winning the game. And this is now multiple times so far this season 
where you could throw the towel in on the game completely with at the under 12 timeout. You just said, yeah, they're not winning this game. And I mean, that's, it's just that I cannot remember a time where you really felt like that for Carolina, even, even back in 2010, it really didn't feel that bad. That team didn't have a lot of talent. And that's the reason why they lost a lot of the games they lost. And they were still in most of those games. They fought. They just didn't have enough talent to win them. This team, I mean, they've got more talent than that team. But at this point, you couldn't even really tell that. Because the effort level is nowhere near what they, what that 2010 team had. That's the last time that you can really feel like you turned on a game and said, there's probably, you know, any time they go on the road, there's a chance they're not, they're not going to win the game. And more than likely, they're not going to win the game. I, I mean, it's at the point now where, look, I picked them to beat Wake Forest in the preview edition of the, of the podcast for this game because I thought they fought back pretty well after losses. Yeah, they're not winning a road game the rest of the year. I, I don't see any way that they are going to find a way because not only are you getting beat, you're getting destroyed. And a lot of the teams that you face moving forward, even though they might not be the greatest teams, are going to fight till the end in these games where right now, don't think you are. So not a good sign for Carolina basketball. That's, that's really all I can say there. Let's get in some more takeaways from the game. Talk about Carolina's defense. You go back to early December where it looked like this team had turned the quarter defensively. You were holding opponents under 65 points on a consistent basis, and and you were having success playing defense. The team looked like they were having fun playing good defense, and the communication was there, and the effort was there, and the consistency on the end of the floor was there. And – that's all gone away since Virginia. For the last five halves, your opponent has shot over 50% or better from the floor. And I think it's something that we knew going into the year there was potential to be a bad defensive team because they've been a bad defensive team the last couple of years. And But you didn't think they could get any worse. And that's where this team is at right now. They have regressed beyond repair. And I think it's something that – um, it's definitely a coaching issue because I do think you can do some tactical things differently, but it comes down to effort. And the simple fact is, is that you only have one guy in your starting lineup that's going to consistently play defense because that's his only way to get on the court, and that's Leaky Black. And even he has now gotten kind of just lost in this whole mentality that I, I don't have to try on the defensive end of the court. And Carolina's just getting embarrassed. And last night, there was never a point in the game where they tried to make the game hard on Wake Forest. They simply allowed Wake Forest to get where they wanted to get and shoot the shots they wanted to shoot, and they made them over and over again. And there was never there was never a change. And you go back to Notre Dame, the game changed. Something happened where the game changed, and Carolina got stops, and they got back in the game almost won the game in a lot of ways should have won the game. And that hasn't happened the last two games. And I don't, I don't know if there's a simple fix for it. I think, I think they're a lost cause defensively. I think this is a team that 
If they win, it's because they're going to play at a high level on offense where it doesn't matter how bad they are on the defensive end of the court. I don't see a situation where this team gets back to being a competent defensive team because they don't want to be. And it goes back to you, your guards got to dictate how you want to play on the defensive end of the court. And I think R.J. Davis still tries, but he doesn't try hard enough. But it comes back to Caleb Love. Because even though we used two guards in the backcourt, he still perceived the the quote-unquote floor leader on the team, and he's not leading by example. And I think the thing that got the that got me the most frustrated was not that Puff Johnson got in the game as early as he did. I want to see more Puff Johnson the rest of the year. Matter of fact, you give me five Puff Johnsons, and I'll live and die with the results every time. But when that guy who had worked so hard to get back on the court, talking about almost a year and a half worth of rehab and an injury, to get on the court and immediately checks into the game, and the one of the first things he does is dive on the floor for the loose ball, and that doesn't become contagious, that's a problem. Because if I was in that situation where I watched a guy work as hard as he's had to work to get back on the court and immediately sacrifice his body to get a rebound, you would think it would make other players be willing to sacrifice their body and get on the floor and make plays. And that didn't happen. And that's really disappointing because that's not what Carolina basketball is about. That's not the foundation of, of what we're built on. And, and this defense is, is it's just – there's no hope for it. They're not going to get any better no matter what they try and do. He threw a zone out there. It got beat. He threw a full court press out there. It got beat. It, it feels like we were, at, we were at during the football season with Jay Bateman. They may try, but trying isn't going to be good enough for this team on the defensive end of the court. Yeah, no, I, I they're, they're just not – they're just not a good, def- a good defensive team. These guys are just not good defenders, and we saw that. I mean, th- there's things that they could have tried to correct last night, and I don't know if they didn't realize it or they just aren't able to execute it. Um, I mentioned to you a couple of times, uh, Jake LaRavia had a huge night just going to his right, and they never tried to take it away. And, I mean, look, I, I – I'm kind of with you and on, on what you said at the end there, that no matter what you do as Hubert Davis, I don't think it's going to make a difference with these guys as defenders. They're just not going to be a good defensive team. Not even, not even not a good defensive team. They're not going to be a consistent defensive team. And if you have a stretch four, even though I, I don't think that's the thing that hurts you the most, stretch five is is what really kills you. Yeah. Or if you have a trio of guards in the backcourt that can drive the lane aggressively, you're going to be in trouble. This team can't cannot stop the dribble drive. That yeah. that is non-existent for them. They haven't been able to do it all year, and it doesn't feel like they're going to all of a sudden be able to make that adjustment and start doing that moving forward. And when that happens. That's usually what creates these unintended doubles that lead to guys scrambling. And it's happened so many times this year. It's still happening now. 
and there's really nothing that you can do to adjust to it. And it was an issue last year. Um, but we, we thought that this was a good enough offensive team to be able to mask some of those deficiencies. But it's, it, it, I mean, again, it, it still goes back to effort because as you talked about earlier, our stat of the game was transition points. Yep. 30 to two. That really shows you that Carolina just isn't getting back in transition. And that's something that is crucial. It's one thing if you're getting beat. I mean, look, there were some shots last night where no matter what you did, you, you, you were in good position. They were just making shots. But to be outscored in transition like that, that just shows you that you're not, you're, you're not showing the effort to get back, which has been a staple of Carolinas for years. I mean, the, the, the fact that this is now something that Carolinas dealt with from the start of at a conference play is teams wanting to run with you because they feel like they can, they're the better team in transition is unheard of. And yeah. that seems to be the mindset that most people are taking. And right now, unless this team starts to change that mentality that they have, teams are going to keep doing this to you the rest of the season, especially on the road. Let's talk about the half-court offense because you can't talk about transition offense when you only score two points in the open court. Carolina's – their offense kind of looks like now what I think we maybe thought it was going to look like at the beginning of the year maybe with the, the philosophy change and the new system and the wanting to play a more modern style of basketball. But that's not how the season started. They looked comfortable in the half court at the beginning of the season. They don't look comfortable now. And I think it comes back to the lack of ball movement and how they're not playing as a team. It's become too much one-on-one basketball. And, you know, I've brought this up a couple times and how you'll make fun of me when I tell you that they're taking bad shots. But you've had back-to-back games against Miami and, and Wake Forest where you made it harder on yourself to come back in the game because your shot selection was that bad. And they got, once again, caught up in Wake Forest's success from behind the three-point line, and they just started jacking threes, 28 more of them last night. uh, Brady Manick led the team three of seven from behind the arc. DeMarco Dunn, 0 of four. Dawson Garcia, 0 of three. Uh, RJ was two of four. Love, one of six. And most of them were not – they were not the right type of threes, mainly because – This felt like a game where as much as Schubert Davis wanted to spread the court and try to uh, attack the driving lanes, he should have put Brady Manick on on the block and played three around two and just beat the ball inside Mm because it couldn't keep you off the glass, and that was your best offense. And there's something – the the ball's got to get back moving because the ball gets stuck on one side of the court and they're not passing it and there's not good floor spacing and they're not – they're not generating good offense in the half court like they were at the beginning of the season. I don't know how they scored 76 points last night. As bad as their, their offense looked at times, um, and then you look at, you know, you shot 33% from the field, 21% from behind the three-point line. But it kind of feels like with three games coming up in the next six days, you're back to the drawing board offensively because you're as much as you're searching for answers on the defensive end of the court, you're doing the same thing on the offensive side of the court as well. 
Yeah, it's I, I don't get why they've gone away from trying to play inside against some of these teams that just don't have the size to match them. And, you know, part of last night was shots just weren't falling. And I'm not even talking about perimeter shots. You're, you, I mean, there were shots that all season have been going down for you. And normally when things are going right, those are falling for you. So this is just things are not going right. And usually this is how it works. Um, you know, but they, they've got to start, as you said, moving the ball a lot more. There were a couple of possessions where Caleb Love brought the ball up the court, stood there, nobody moving without the basketball. I mean, literally standing in the exact same spot for five to ten seconds. It's just – I mean, it's unbelievable. I don't understand why – you would think that's going to be successful because it's not. I know Caleb has had some good shooting nights so far this year. Uh, He's just like this team as a whole, inconsistent and not great on the road. So you need – I mean, it's it's just got to be a team effort, and it doesn't seem to be a team effort at this point on either end of the floor. And, I mean, yeah, without the constant ball movement, that we've seen in, in the games that they've had so much success in. And without guys moving without the basketball, this team is not going to be able to win games at the level that they need to to make the tournament. And they need their offense to be their strength. They, they need this offense to get back to scoring 80 to 85 points a game. Yep. It's, it's just that simple because they don't have the defensive prowess to get it done. And with the way that they've played in the last two games, I didn't think last night was as bad in terms of shot selection by any stretch. But they, it's, it's just it's, it has to happen if Carolina is going to get back to scoring the way they need to. And, and they've got – I mean, I know we didn't have a great night last night. They've got to start feeding Armando Baycott even more. Yeah. I mean, against Miami was completely unacceptable. And last night, I mean, yeah, he was 4-12 from the field, but he's still your best player. And he needs to consistently get the ball, and you need to let him to go to let him go to work. He came off of one of the best three-game stretches that I have seen in ACC basketball history. And Carolina has decided we're going to go away from giving him the ball. That does not make any sense at all. And, the, I mean, the players got to figure it out that are on the court because there is no – I refuse to believe that that is a coaching issue on that. There is no way that the coaching staff is saying to keep it away from your best player. It's the players on the floor. They need to find a way to start getting it inside more often or pack your bags up because you will not be going to the NCAA tournament. Let's talk about the rotation, and it's something that's now going to be changed moving forward because, as we learned on Friday, um, Anthony Harris is unavailable for the rest of the year. And that's that's a really uh, sorry thing to say because he had really carved out a nice role on this team and was a big part of the success this team was having on the defensive end of the court. So now you've got to replace those minutes. And to Hubert Davis's credit, all 11 scholarship players last night played. Um, the freshman even got substantial minutes. Dawson Garcia was the leading uh, player off the bench with 18 minutes. Puff Johnson at 13. 
Justin McCoy at 16, and Kerwin Walton had 11. But it doesn't seem like, outside of really Garcia and maybe maybe McCoy and Walton, the other guys are ready to contribute. For Puff, it makes a little bit more sense. His third game back from injury, he's still in a work in progress. But I think the decision early on in the year to play such a tight rotation has really backfired because these guys aren't as experienced as they could be. And honestly, that's honestly as, as, as experienced as they should be. They should have seen more minutes in games where the games were over at the middle part of the second half against the Elons, the Furmans, the UNC Asheville's of the world, the App States. Didn't happen. And I, I, I think you've got something with Puff because you know that kid is going to try to give you everything he has because he just simply right now is happy to be back on the court. But there were plays for Dontrez and DeMarco to make, and they didn't make them because they don't have experience making plays. And Kerwin Walton hasn't been the same guy since coming back from COVID. Justin McCoy is uh, – he, he is what we thought he was going to be when we he arrived. He's going to be a good piece next year. He's I think he's, a, he's not as far along as we thought he was on both ends of the court, but he's not a guy that you can put out there for 15 to 20 minutes a night. And Dawson Garcia, I, I think you've got to move him back into the starting lineup just simply because you need something more coming off the bench outside of outside of Kerwin Walton um, or whoever that guy is just going to step up off the bench. But I think it'll be interesting to see when Hubert Davis looks back and reflects on what went right this year and what went wrong. That decision to play an eight-man rotation in December – was probably going to be something he would you would hope he would want to address next year because it, you're supposed to start large and and size it down when you get to this time of year and then right now you're having to expand your rotation to find help and that's why you've got all the issues you have and then that's why you're getting outplayed when your stars aren't on the court. Yeah, it's it's definitely gotten it. He's he's got himself to this point where now you, you've got guys that you just can't you don't trust at this time and and that's that's fine because you shouldn't trust these guys yet because you haven't seen them in expansive roles yet but mm-hmm. now you've got no choice and with Anthony Harris off the floor I mean that's definitely not what this team needed that was the guy that had the highest defensive rating on your team so far this season and now he's no longer available for the rest of the year so yeah, just in the rotation is is going to be tough. I mean, we want to see Puff Johnson out there more, but Puff is clearly not the defender that Anthony Harris was. He's going to bring a little more scoring to you, though. Um, you know, and, and when you're looking for that guy that can be that defender, it's probably Justin McCoy. But it's very similar to what we've talked about with Leaky Black. He just doesn't really give you much on the offensive end. I think he probably gives you a little more than Leaky does. But he's not a guy that's really a spot-up shooter. And, you know, his defi- his defensive rating so far this year is good, but it's not as good or anywhere, you know, near as good as, as Anthony Harris. So, I, I, it's it's just going to be tough. I think DeMarco Dunn is that guy that you're really hoping can step into that role. But, I mean, you, you're, you're still talking about a guy that's that's still young, that hasn't played a ton. And, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. I mean, we saw last night. He was 0-5 from the field, 0-4 from three. And he's got to get himself in a little bit of a rhythm offensively. So, yeah, Carolina's in a tough spot right now with with that. Um, and, yeah, I think you're right. Moving moving Brady Manick back to the bench probably helps you. Um, you know, he, he's played decent in the starting lineup. I mean, last night was a really good performance from him on the offensive end of the floor. But you need that boost coming off the bench. And Dawson Garcia just can't really give that to you off the bench because he's not – a guy that's going to dominate scoring wise. That's we we've figured that out. He'll have moments where uh, he'll have these offensive outbursts, but it's a guy. You know, he's a guy that's really just going to try to come in and, and and bring some energy to you. And even that right now isn't working. So you've got to be able to change some of these things up. And yeah, you got to hope that somebody amongst that group of three that you know we talked about emerges here and becomes the guy moving forward. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to see, uh, you know, who can take over that spot, but it's really puts even more pressure on the starters to step up and, and, and play at a level that we know that they're capable of, but that they just haven't done so far in these last two games. Well, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, play you this week's ad from DraftKings. And when we do come back, because Carolina's got a short turnaround, we're doubling up. We're going to get you ready. Carolina, Virginia Tech tomorrow in the Smith Center. So we'll preview that game coming up after this commercial from DraftKings. We're on to the divisional round of the NFL playoffs, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is celebrating with huge odds boost for new customers. Counting down to Super Bowl 56, new customers can get 56 to 1 odds on any team. Bet just $5 and get 280 in free bets if your team wins. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the action of the divisional round. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN, the Basketball Podcast Network, and get 56 to 1 odds on any NFL team. Bet just $5 and win 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's promo code TBPN for 56 to 1 odds at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager is required, one per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the Four Corners pod. Same for Anthony over on the Heel Tough blog side of things. Let's go ahead and dive right into this one really quick, buddy. Carolina, Virginia Tech, tomorrow night in the Smith Center, as I mentioned before break. Rescheduled game back in December. Of course, that game got postponed due to COVID issues within the, the Hokies program. That's a part of three straight home games for Carolina. They're at home Monday night against Virginia Tech, Wednesday against Boston College, 
and then NC State on Saturday. And they can't accomplish really anything this week outside of just keeping pace and keeping their NCAA tournament hopes alive at this point. The, if, if you go 3-0, and they're going to be three wins. They're not going to be impressive wins. They're not going to be great wins. But they'll be three wins in the win column. And they'll, they'll, they'll keep you in the conversation as you try to build somewhat of an NCAA tournament resume. Virginia Tech enters with a 10-8 and record overall, 2-5 and in the league. There is probably right behind Carolina, the second most disappointing team in the ACC. It's either between them or, or, or their in-state rival, Virginia, because they had a good showing last year in the ACC, was a th- three-seed in the tournament, made the NCAA tournament, got some key pieces back, added a transfer or two, and they looked poised to be a really good team this year, and it just hasn't come to fruition for for a variety of different reasons. Um They've got three players that average double-figure scoring, led by Keve Aluma's 15.7 points per game. But they're not they're not a good shooting team. They shoot just 30% from behind the arc. But they're a really good defensive team. They only allow 59.8 points per game. And we, we've seen Virginia Tech enough under Mike Young to know that they're going to poise some problems for Carolina. They're going to spread the court. <laughs> They're going to try to drive the ball at them. They're going to put our bigs on the perimeter, and their forwards, guys like Justin Mutz, Aluma, those guys can put the ball on the floor and, and, and make plays happen off the dribble and get to the basket. And we just saw that happen the other night with LaRavia. That's going to be a big problem for this team to defend. So even though Virginia Tech doesn't come in with a flashy record by any means, Carolina is not in a position to be overlooking any type of opponent. They need wins, and they need to get wins, really as many wins as they possible, as impressive as they can moving forward. Yeah, and it starts with this game. And and as you mentioned, you know you're you're talking about um, a couple of forwards that can definitely drive the lane. I think Aluma is the guy that you're looking at and you're probably most concerned about. But, yeah, this is definitely a matchup of two teams that probably expected to be in much better spots than they are right now. And we'll have to just wait and see, you know, what ends up actually happening. Um, You know, how do you slow down Aluma? Who do you put on him? I mean, same height as Laravia, so that at at 6'9". So that probably means that you're going to have Brady Manick on him. I think this game, you probably need to see more of Dawson Garcia. Um, you're going to be limited on the offensive end, and that, that that's what hurts you. But you you kind of got no choice because you've got to be able to do something on the defensive end of the floor. Now, the good news is, is this, this, you know, out of the last three games, this is the team that probably poses the least punch offensively to you. They've only got three guys in double figures. Um, so, I mean, you know, again, it's a good team. Um, but, you know, they're they're still a team that I think right now is is trying to figure out what, what exactly has gone wrong for them as well, just like Carolina. So, yeah, it's th- this is one that, you know, for Carolina, you're, you're – you're hoping that you're going to be able to come out and at home be able to find a rhythm offensively, but it's going to be a challenge because you're playing against one of the best defensive teams in the entire country so far this year. They're allowing 59.8 points per game. So this is not quite the game that you wanted to draw with the way that you've been struggling offensively. This is a game where you definitely need your guards to get back to shooting the ball well from behind the arc. If you don't, you could be in for a long night. 
update you on Carolina. Of course, they'll enter with the 12-6 and record overall, 4-3 and in the ACC. Still got four players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott, 16.9 points per game. Last time, or no, I think if, if I remember correctly, going back to Georgia Tech, Carolina was ranked sixth in the country in three-point percentage shooting. Two weeks later, roughly, week later, this team's fallen all the way down to 46th um, as they've had some really rough shooting nights. So maybe they'll snap out of it now that they're back at home in the Smith Center. And we'll get to our keys to the game right here. The first thing Carolina's got to do, the first thing they got to do is defend the three-point line. Virginia Tech's the 15th best three-point shooting team in the country. They shoot roughly 39% from beyond the arc. Virtually everybody in their starting lineup, not named Aluma, can and shoot the three ball off the bench. You've got guys or on the court and off the bench, you've got guys like Storm Murphy and Darius Maddox and, and those guys that can shoot the ball at a really high clip off the bench. If you remember Storm Murphy, he was on that Wofford team that beat Carolina in the Smith Center not too long ago. And uh, – so that's the first thing they got to do is they they got to defend the, the three point line, which means you gotta you gotta be able to be. Um, that's what I'm looking for here. You gotta be disciplined defensively. They're gonna spread the court. They're gonna drive the ball at you to try to get the defense to collapse, and you just gotta know when you need to collapse, when not to collapse, and not leave open three point shooters behind open because if they're open, they're gonna make them, and if they're make them, then you're most likely gonna get beat, and and that's where Carolina is at. The, when, when they play defense and they communicate, they do things really well. But when they don't do the little things that make up the big things, then it all it all breaks down. And Virginia Tech's not had a good year. They're looking to bounce back in a big way. And what better way than that to come into the Smith Center and shoot lights out from behind the three-point line? The second key I have is they got to play as a team on offense. And I'll let you speak on this one because I don't know what to do. I don't know how you make a team play as a team. And I think that's where Heber Davis is at right now. When when it gets bad, they get they it, it gets worse because they want to play one on one ball and they don't and they want to play hero ball. The ball's got to go through Armando Baycock first and foremost and always. I don't care if you're down thirty five points. The first the first possession, the first paint, the, the first time that you go to shoot the ball, it better be number five because he's your best player. And I think it's something that. This is a good week to maybe figure it out because you got three games in five days. The best way to figure it out is to play through it, and they've got to get back to moving the ball as a team, multiple passes, switching the sides of the court, especially against a good defensive team. If they come out and they play one-on-one isolation ball, it's going to be the same type of performance as they've had the last couple nights on offense, and those haven't been pretty. Are you confident that they're back at home? They can return to their – better offensive habits, if you will. Yeah, I mean, a little bit. I mean, they've definitely shot the ball a lot better at home than they have on the road. But, yeah, th- this is a, this is more of a matchup that should have you feeling more confident. There should be no hesitation to go inside on this team. This is the worst rebounding team in conference play that Carolina is going to face. This team averages 28.4 rebounds per game in the seven conference games they played. At a conference, they weren't much better. On the season, they're averaging 32.4 rebounds per game. So they are not going to have the size to compete with you. They are a team that is going to want to spread the floor. 
And I mean, that that's, that's how they're going to be able to, you know, give you issues. And, and that will definitely give you issues on the defensive end of the floor, but offensively, the plan should be what it should have been all along against Notre Dame, and they didn't stick with it. Put the ball inside as often as you possibly can. And until they can show they can consistently stop you, that's where you need to go. And, and it look, it starts with Armando Baycott. You need to see more of Dawson Garcia and Brady Manick on the inside. They need to be on the post more often, on the block more often than they are standing beyond the three-point line. They are not shooting well from outside right now. That's just a fact. And you need to have your focus on putting the ball inside and going to work there. I know that a lot of people wanted to get away from the too big style that they thought was old and antiquated. Well, I think it's showing you this season that that wasn't the main issue with this Tar Heel basketball team. In this game, you got to start getting back to more of that because this Virginia Tech team simply isn't going to be able to slow you down inside. So, yeah, I, I, I feel more confident because of that. But at this point, it, it wouldn't shock me either if this team comes out and continues to struggle offensively because you just wonder if, that game against Miami getting destroyed that badly from start to finish is what took it out of this team completely. And if this is going to be a lot of what we're going to see moving forward. The last key is, is something that I it's – not, it's not a coaching thing. It's a player thing. they got to play with a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, you heard that for so many years under Roy Williams where they weren't as good as they wanted the team to be because they didn't have that sense of urgency. And then this team has kind of looked the same mold where there's not that desperation on the court. Maybe I'm overreacting. And if I am, feel free to tell me so. If Carolina loses one game at home this week, they probably put themselves in a situation where they have to win the ACC tournament to make the NCAA tournament because they don't have a resume. You don't have a quad one victory to your name. Your quad one defeats have all been blowouts. That's going to play a factor in the committee's decision to elect you as one of the 68 best teams or the one, one of the 35 best at large teams to make the field. And you look around the country at some of the other leagues like the Big 12, the Big East, the Big Ten, even the Pac-12, they're deeper than they have been in years past. They're going to put more teams in the field than they have in years past. So the least you can do is just keep pace and win the games you need to win, and maybe, just maybe, you you split with Duke and you get Florida State at home, and that's enough to push you over the top. But this team right now doesn't, doesn't have that sense of urgency. And Armando Baycott said, after the Wake Forest game, that he's desperate to find it out, to figure out, to turn the season around. Okay, well, let's play like it. You're at a point now where your effort doesn't cannot be questioned, and that's where we're at right now. Your head coach has questioned it. Um, this podcast host has questioned it, and your fan base is questioning it. This week, you've got to prove to us, and you got to do something. If, if there's a loose ball, die for it. There's a guy on the open from behind the three-point line, close out on him. They can't take plays off. They can't take possessions off. They can't take four-minute four segments off. Because one loss this week, when we get to Selection Sunday and they and they don't make the NCAA tournament, you can look back to this week and say, 
ultimately, that was the reason why. It's gotten to that point for sure. Um, and your margin for error on the road really isn't that big either. You've got to start winning some of these road games. Um, but, yeah, this this week is crucial because you're playing three teams that right now aren't in the tournament. Um, and I don't think there's a chance any of them actually end up coming back and making the tournament. This team that you're playing on Monday night in Virginia Tech probably has the best chance of the group. But with the way they've played early on this season, that's a lot to ask. So now more than anything for Carolina, it is about avoiding the bad losses. And we know how how wins and losses work with the quads. You know, for for people at home, it's, it's, it's probably a little more confusing. But especially at home, you have to be able to take care of business. And look, you know, so far this year they have. They're undefeated at home. They've looked like a completely different team in a lot of the games that they've played at home. So there's reasons to be confident that they can do that. But you're right. This team has to wake up and realize that right now you're not in the tournament. I, I don't see any way that you could put this team in the tournament right now. They do not have a signature win. And where are you going to pick that up? I I said yesterday, I think there might be one other team that is starting to emerge as a possible quote unquote resume win for you. And that would be Florida state. That's a home game. So it's, it's not going to count as much as if you go on the road and win it. But other than that, you got to beat Duke to be able to make the NCAA tournament. That's where you are right now with the ACC. Your conference hasn't helped you out at all with the fact that you've been struggling as well. So, yeah, it, it's crucial. This is a week where, I mean, you've you got to feel like they got to go three and out. Um, especially the last two games of the week, there's no way you can lose either one of those games. Those two teams are not good. You should be able to take care of business against both. Boston College, who you destroyed the first time you played them, and NC State, who, you know, has has fought in a lot of games but can't finish any of them off and have one of the worst uh, power conference losses this season when they lost to Wright State earlier this year. So, yeah, it's the the sense of urgency, and, and it comes back to there needs to be a leader. Right now there isn't a leader on this team, but somebody's got to step up and be that emotional leader moving forward. Uh, because if not, it's just a team that seems like they're going through the motions. And, and they can't do that. They've done it way too often so far this season, and it isn't yielding results. Let's quickly go ahead and pick the game. Carolina, despite back-to-back blowout losses, according to ESPN's Basketball Power Index, a 57.6% chance to win the game. And I'm going to pick them to win the game. The biggest reason because they're at home. I think if this game was on the road, I'd have a tougher time saying they're going to go on the road and and win. But I do think at home, you could point to and say, or it's pretty evident, they're just a different team. They're a better team. They're a more committed team. Um, Their best moments outside of that Georgia Tech back in December have all come on their home court um, with with thrashings of Michigan, Virginia, Georgia Tech just a week ago. and. I don't know if it's going to be to the same level of blowouts that those games were at, but I they, they've responded well to adversity back in the Smith Center. 
How do you think they will respond and get back in the win column with the, I'm not going to say a, a, a comfortable win on Monday night, but a much needed win on Monday night. Yeah, the, the, the stretch aspect that uh, this Virginia Tech team has does scare me a bit. But I think, as you mentioned, at home, just a completely different team. And I mean, we're talking night and day. We're talking a team that at home looks like they are potentially elite eight, maybe even final four good at some times, as opposed to a team that on the road looks like they may not even qualify for the CBI tournament at times. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it's – I feel – confident in that aspect I feel confident that look you know as I mentioned they're going to stretch you out on the offensive end of the four this team is one of the smaller teams that you're going to play all season that includes out of conference so I feel confident that if you want something inside you should be able to get it their ability to knock down the outside shot concerns me a little bit because we've seen that start to become a little bit of an issue here as the season's gone along after early on in the year that even against some teams that shot the ball from the outside really well, that w- really wasn't an issue for Carolina. I think they get the win. I think it's a close, ugly game. And, you know, I, I think it, it, it's all going to come down to, you know, what I've, I've stressed at home a lot so far this year. Um, you know, they're going to go inside a lot, but when they need to knock down shots from the outside, you need your guards to be able to make those big shots. They've done it at home, though, so I'm going to pick them to win this game. There you go, guys. Both Anthony and myself predicting a Carolina victory tomorrow night in the Smith Storm. You can catch that game at 8 p.m. over on the ACC Network. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Before we let you go, do you want to get you to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, where we had you covered for the Wake Forest game. Go back, check out what went wrong for Carolina in that defeat. Anthony got an article up about Anthony Harris being out for the rest of the year and who needs to step up for him during his absence. Also on the football side of things and the offseason mode, so weekly storylines, they are back. Go back and check out all the latest storylines around the Tar Heel football program. As for the podcast side of things, you know where to find us. We're on the Basketball Podcasting Network. We host through Megaphone. We can find us on every major podcasting platform. Just simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. Like the podcast, review the podcast, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any great uh, podcast during this season. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the Four Corners Podcast. Well, thank Anthony for hosting with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.